is an Odyssey original. This is the War in Ukraine Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. On today's podcast, Russia's military strikes further to the west, bringing danger close to the border with Poland. Ukrainians and the capital city of Kiev are preparing for the worst. And an American rabbi now in Poland helping Ukrainian refugees. But we start with Russia's invasion becoming even more violent. Forces continue moving towards Kiev. They've started attacking areas in western Ukraine with rocket strikes. Uh, Phil Itner is in Lviv, Ukraine. Phil, things have been relatively quiet where you are, but that's changing. Yeah, uh, we've had a relatively quiet period for the last, uh, well, the better part of uh, over a week. Uh, But uh, over the weekend, yeah, several air raid sirens uh, blaring here in Lviv because apparently cruise missiles headed to a town about 30 miles west of where I am, very close to the Polish border, where international fighters were... uh, uh, coming and registering and uh, doing some training, but in addition to that, an airfield as well, and perhaps a, a uh, weapons stockpile. So uh, that may have been an isolated incident, but nevertheless, people in this town are starting to get a little bit anxious, thinking perhaps the war is headed our way. Yeah, how surprised are people that it happened, especially some of those strikes right there so close to the, the Polish border, you know, NATO territory. Some of the TV shots of, of Lviv show plenty of people just kind of life as usual, going to cafes and doing things. But then when sirens are going off, uh, that's a whole different kind of perspective. Well, we've we've just today, uh, just within the last two hours, have had two more siren events. So it is ongoing, and yeah, you're right. Uh, the, over the weekend, people did kind of go out on the town, and I've, I've got I actually, uh, Mike Charles, I have a, a YouTube channel which is simply my name, Philip Itner, one L, and Philip and two T's, and Itner, where I was out yesterday, kind of walking amongst the people in Lviv, and they're. There, there's almost a desperation, almost a sense of anxiety to, to try and hold on to normality as long as they possibly can. So they were out with their children. There's an ice skating rink in the middle of town. There were uh, musicians uh, out, uh, you know, trying to kind of raise people's spirits. Um, but uh, you scratch beneath the surface, and yeah, people are starting to get quite anxious here. You fellas, I'm sure you know the president of Ukraine is going to have a, a virtual address to the U.S. Congress on Wednesday. Now, I know he wants, because he said it, uh, a no-fly zone. That's probably not going to happen. What what else could be on his laundry list, his shopping list? Uh, well, he's definitely going to ask for weaponry, but I think the message that he will send is a message I've heard from many, many Ukrainians that I've spoken to since I've arrived here, and I've been coming here for 21 years, and since this war began, I came back. Um, because I made various promises to many uh, friends here uh, that I would do so and bear witness. And uh, what I'm hearing from many people, and the message I suspect we'll hear from President Zelensky on Wednesday when he talks to Congress is, you may not have a choice here. The, the, the war has started, and it will affect you. That's what I'm hearing from many Ukrainians, that the West doesn't get it quite yet, that when, he, when, when Putin attacked Ukraine, he didn't just attack Ukraine. He, he, he was going to have ramifications throughout the Western world. And the message he has said repeatedly, and again, I've heard from Ukrainians here on the ground, is you just don't know it yet. We're, we're the front lines. We're the, we're the first guys who are going to be attacked. But don't doubt for a second that he's just going to stop with Ukraine. Journalist Phil Itner back with us in Lviv, Ukraine. Phil, thanks. The war in Ukraine putting millions of civilians who are just trying to survive in danger and people in Ukraine's capital city of Kiev, they are bracing for the worst. 
Russia's convoy has been slowed as it moved towards Kiev, but it looks like they're now trying to surround the capital. Tim Milovanov, professor at the University of Pittsburgh. He's from Ukraine, now just uh, outside of Kiev. Professor, we understand you were in the uh, bomb shelter earlier today. Um, yeah, uh, I had some panel discussion at the UCLA, thousand people on the call, and I just <laughs> give two minutes intro, and there is a you know, it's an it's it's not a train and it's a it's a air raid. It's real. It's rockets. Masala, please please shut down the windows, switch off the lights, go to the basement immediately. So it's fun. You, know, you have to like like in the military, you have uh, the time usually between the announcement and um, the landing of missiles is two minutes. So you have to pack and dress and get everything you need, assuming that you will never come back within two minutes. How often is that happening? Um, you know, it depends on the area. Some people do it um, several times a day. Uh, we have been relatively lucky where we are. It happens. This type of uh, warning, severe warning happens maybe every couple of days. Have you thought about leaving Kiev? Is it possible for you to leave Kiev and head west? Well, you know, as I said, I'm sufficiently far away from Kiev, from the activities, so I'm safe. I can move further west, that's no problem, but it doesn't really matter because Russia now bombards, you know, capriciously, I think, almost. But when you say, uh, when you say you're far, and how many miles are we talking about in terms of, what's your definition of far? Now, far, it means that I am not within, let's say, 20 miles or 30 miles of active military activities. 20 miles, okay. All right. 20, 30 miles. So kind of so a suburb good. type situation. Yeah, so, so suburb versus suburb, but they can really get nasty very quickly. But the rockets is the worst because now the ground troops are basically stuck. Russian ground troops, they are advancing here and there and then get pushed back. But it's really these rockets and they are now, you know, no, we have daily meetups, checkups and meetings with the management of the Kiev School of Economics and the president there. And, you know, a typical morning goes like this, you know, eight vice presidents and three are reporting that uh, rockets hit next to them, but they're okay. So that's a typical morning check. So what is that like in a, in a daily life kind of sense? I mean, just the surrealness of it. And then also, I mean, if, if you think, okay, well, maybe I should pack up and go even further. Well, then, you know, you could be back in a danger zone before you know it and not even realize it. Yeah. So, there, you know, first of all, humans apparently adapt to almost everything very quickly. I think the first two weeks, it feels like a sprint, you know, like you're running 100 meter in uh, in olympics you know and you feel that you're gonna right now your heart is gonna give out and just gonna fall because you don't have any energy you didn't have enough oxygen but then after that you get into this marathon feel and it's it's different type of perseverance that you need like to make another step you know there's no immediate danger but it's the same over and over and it puts pressure on you you know and you need to find some people collapse under it others you know find a way uh, the trick I did to my company, and it's uh, I learned it in the 90s when the Soviet Union collapsed and later in 2003, you actually have to make everyone work on important projects really, really hard so everyone is occupied and then their mental health is better and people can actually function. Uh, but, uh, you know, you just get used to it. Tim, when we talked with you last week, uh, I believe you were still teaching virtually. Uh, are you still doing that? 
Correct. I did connect with the Pittsburgh students. I haven't done it since that because it was a little bit hectic, but I would very much like to do it. I was supposed to go back on April 1st to teach classes for three weeks. And, you know, <laughs> my my faculty, my my friends, my fellow instructors will pick it up. But um, I, good that you reminded me. I'll, I'll connect with my students and try to teach a lecture too. A little bit hectic is Yeah, is, that's is probably an understatement. understatement. Yes, a little right? hectic, huh? I mean, well, okay. I'm sure they, they, you know, would love to see you and, and hear from you. But obviously, and they're probably going to have questions. What, what would you talk about in terms of what you're experiencing with them or in the economic side, the sanctions against Russia? What would class be like? for you right now in the last class they were just shocked you know they were shocked to see me because it's you know they read it in the news and uh, and before that i was already kind of exotic enough for them as a, as a faculty you know i'm an economist but at the same time i was in the government and you know i talked to the president they know it's a big deal for kids you know and uh, i get them to you know expose them to kind of thinking which is done in real policy making decision making and say you know this is not what quite the university teach you know the real writing is different the real thinking is different this is an example and the funny thing the ironic thing before going to ukraine i just asked i give them an assignment to think of the scenarios whether there will be a war or not and uh, what what they think the putin has done and i have not graded it and i probably won't be, but i wonder if anyone got it right so probably i will give them an assignment uh, to reassess their scenarios go back to what they have written and say given in the light of new information how should have they written that analysis and that assignment so, um, because that would kind of uh, force them to think about what what assumptions they had right and what assumption they had wrong uh, that's uh, assuming i would have the state of mind and uh, time and uh, capacity to teach them that right yeah i want to talk about you, you mentioned some people it's a sprint and some people it's a marathon and some people collapse under it um how are people holding together i mean you sound like you're doing okay given the circumstances around you in your friendship group in your some of the peers that you have there uh, i know you're 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 a bit out of town but still you've got the sirens i mean how how are people doing as far as you can tell living under this for all this yeah. time now people are different you know it's like different people cope differently with trauma of war or any trauma for that matter but trauma is difficult of course uh, we um, you know we have uh, you know we have focused our energy on helping people we are fundraising we're getting medical kits this are special medical kits which um, you know most people right now in ukraine die from uh, blood loss after shelling because the shelling comes in you know it's a, a munition you know cluster munition falls or a ballistic missile drops on your uh, on your um, on your building unless you die immediately you know if it hits you or you're really close, most likely there will be some stuff flying into you, either this cluster, you know, flax, uh, shrapnel, or something heavy. And then people essentially get cut and they start losing blood. And you have 20 people or 100 people immediately losing blood. And if you don't have those medical kits to kind of immediately stop chemically and sometimes with uh, some mechanical devices, blood loss, then most of these people will die. Yeah, and it's real because it's just simply no capacity for Tim, emergency service. Tim, I'm, I'm sorry. I, yeah. I'm curious. I'm curious about something because you were talking yeah. about no, no, you were talking about how it affects different people in different ways, and I am curious how it's affecting you. And I'm I'm asking you because 
what you said before about it being hectic, and as Mike pointed out, sort of an understatement, you're in the middle of a yeah. war zone, and the way you're kind of rattling stuff off is very clinical sounding. Is that your sort of defense mechanism? Is that how you are, are dealing with uh, this? Perhaps. I put myself to work, and I have always done that uh, in my life. Uh, uh, I put my, you know, I really do a lot of work and some other people cry and other people, you know, just desperate. Uh, but I, I uh, yeah, I think uh, everyone around me in my company, I've made them work and uh, that helps them. In my, I think it's my, you know, then they actually read, <laughs> they read less news. <laughs> Keep them and, busy. Uh, you know, yeah. there, there is, there is little they can do about it, you know. Uh, about the news and if they sit you know the people become zombies they kind of keep reading and watching news over and over and then after that they just they they become dysfunctional so we have to make them work and uh, this is you're right that's probably my defense mechanism. does the worry creep in though in a long term like what is the end game here what happens do they eventually they the russians take over and then there's some resistance do we have to live under them do we win i mean does that does that stuff you know, still they, get into your head they, no, no, I think it's different. Um, what Putin, the messages Putin sent to us is um, is of the type uh, that remind us of how the Soviets ruled Ukraine, especially before the World War II, uh, where we had this uh, Holodomor, where they, you know, mm, they bombed our churches, for example. One iconic church in the East yesterday was bombed. Then they bombed uh, a training center really close to the Polish border in the Western Ukraine. So sending a message to everyone, you're not safe anywhere. Even if you are sitting on the Polish border, 14 miles from the Polish border, you will be, you can be bombed. And um, in Kherson, where um, Russian troops occupy Kherson, they are snatching people. I have a friend in there and he said just 20 of people I know have been have been arrested. And I asked him, have they, you know, are you sure they have been arrested? He says, we are hoping they have because we have not seen them ever since. So the message which is being sent to us is submit fully and you will, you might die anyway, even if you submit. So, uh, so everyone understands that it's going to be like it was under the Soviets and it means more people will be dying. So if our choice is to die, Either way, then we can as well fight. And I think uh, we want freedom and we will be fighting because of that. Because they, you know, what? Unless, unlike most of the rest of the world, we truly understand what Russia has become. And it's a very dark place. And to resist it, to survive, we have to fight it. Tim, we're going to run out of time, but I do want to ask you, because uh, we didn't the last time, do you have a family? And if so, are they with you now? Yeah, my wife is next to me. Next to you. We, and we don't have children, yeah, but my wife is here. And and how is she dealing with all this? She's working too. She started napping now. <laughs> okay. All right, Timmy Lovinov, um, there on the uh, kind of suburban area of Kiev, away from at least uh, some of the danger. Tim, thank thank you again for coming back and talking to us. We wish you the best, and uh, we hope you stay safe, and we hope we can speak again soon. Coming up right after a short break, we hear from an American rabbi who has traveled to Poland to help Ukrainian refugees. A prominent American rabbi is in Warsaw, Poland right now, leading a group of about 20 rabbis to provide medical supplies and more to Ukrainian refugees. Joseph Potasnik, executive vice president of the New York Board of Rabbis, families from Poland, they survived the Holocaust. He spoke to Bridget Quinn on 1010 Winds in New York City. So just returning to Warsaw from the border, from Mendika, which is on the border of Ukraine and Poland, 
and we see people crossing the border seeking safety and to witness the devastation on their faces. You see families that have gone through such horror uh, who don't know if they're going to be reunited with loved ones because you know many of the, the men could not accompany them because they have to fight uh, up to the age of 60. They have to fight in Ukraine. So you have families that have been separated. Uh, I met a gentleman who's 95 years old, crossing the border, Holocaust survivor, who's now going through this uh, second Holocaust in his life. Oh, my goodness. And I have to say, yeah, but I was heartened by the response. There is a response. We, we came through UJA Federation. There is a response here. The global support system of so many humanitarian groups is something that, to me, shows that decency uh, is much greater than indecency in this world. So yeah. but we're, 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 we're glad we're here. We're sorry to see what we're seeing, but at least we can give some uh, strength and support. It's called the theology of presence. When you're there, it's not what you say. It's the fact that people see you uh, caring about them. And uh, Rabbi, can you tell us, you know, we had reports over the weekend that the fighting on the part of Russia, the attacks on the part of Russia have gotten so dangerously close to the Polish border. Do the people um, who you've seen, have they been able to get where they need to go safely so far? Or is there the fear that at any moment there could be a strike? There is that fear. Some uh, there was a loss of loss of lives and some just barely escaped. And you don't know what's going to happen. But many people feel if they stay where they're staying, they can't survive. So better to risk running to uh, the Polish side than to stay on the Ukrainian side. Mm. Uh, This is is really a very, very difficult, debilitating situation. Uh, Look, I'm I'm a refugee. I was born after the war in Germany. My parents lost loved ones in the Holocaust. So I feel, you know, a certain responsibility to them to be here. The chief rabbi of Poland said something. He said, we Jews, we're good at being refugees, but we've never been able to help refugees until now. And uh, I think that's very, very telling. But you have to see, you walk by, you see Jewish humanitarian groups, Christian humanitarian groups, everyone comes out to say, we are here to give you whatever help we can during this very, very tough time. The International Committee of the Red Cross says the situation is becoming more dire for civilians in Ukraine, with many having to make do with almost no food or medicine as the war continues. They are calling for an immediate ceasefire to allow for civilians to get out of the country. But so far, talks between Russia and Ukraine have not made much progress. A spokesperson for the Red Cross saying these people have dealt with a nightmare which, and I'm quoting now, needs to stop now. This is an Odyssey original. Find us and others on the Odyssey app, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.